Welcome to Thinking Ahead, your leading edge insights podcast. Each episode reveals the latest insights on today's consumers and offers a sneak peek of tomorrow's marketplace. Stop guessing what's next and start thinking ahead. And welcome back to another episode of Thinking Ahead, a GFK Insights podcast. For today's episode, I'm handing off my host duties to David Stanton of GFK Marketing Communications. He and GFK recently brought together executives on the front lines of sustainability as a business imperative. Now, in the midst of global lockdowns and protests, consumers actually did not lose their focus on sustainability, and brands know that they need to start to raise their environmental games. How can they take meaningful actions? in ways that still make financial sense. Joining this conversation with Dave is Karen Chen, Director of Research and Insights at Lorox, Christian Thompson, Director of Insights and Category Management at Goodyear, and Charles Gensling, CEO of Loftex Home. Together, these thought leaders talked about the challenges of incorporating sustainability into everyday marketing, the changing demands and expectations of consumers, and the opportunities for making a real difference at a time of global transformation. The panel discussion that you're about to hear was was cut and cleaned from a recent program that GFK did on sustainability overall that included an interview and discussion with the CEO of TerraCycle, as well as some data that was presented in the beginning from the recent What's Next for Consumers study and some tidbits from the GFK Consumer Life Green Gauge. So just for reference, so you know who is who, the first person to answer Dave in the first question is Karen from Clorox. The second is Charles from Loftex. And the last is Christian from Goodyear. So hopefully that helps you distinguish the three throughout the conversations. And as always, if you're interested in this topic and want to see or hear the full version of this program, I will have it linked for you in the show notes. Where is sustainability today? What does it mean to consumers today? And how has it changed during the pandemic? What we saw right before the pandemic was that consumers were already starting to accelerate their interest in sustainability. And as everybody knows, then the pandemic happened. Um, And I think we all have to acknowledge that the last 14 months have been a period of crises for everyone. Um, The world battled and is still battling a global pandemic, a recession, political and social unrest and regions around the world have been experiencing some of the worst natural disasters, including the unprecedented um, heat waves that are currently happening in California. And so, you know, what we saw at Clorox was sustainability took a brief pause because people were just very focused on their own human survival. Uh, We saw that they were very concerned about their physical safety and health first, um, specifically, you know, because of COVID. But then on the flip side, um, you know, during the lockdowns, um, we were all stuck in our homes, right? We were all forced to take the time to pause from our busy lives. Um, and many people and many consumers commented, you know, that they could now hear the sound of nature and they could breathe in cleaner air. Um, and also because we were stuck at home, many of us were glued to our digital devices um, all the time. Um, and that, you know, as a result, we were all exposed to more media, um, more social media specifically, and you know, all of the viral stories, posts about 
social, political, and environmental issues. Um, I'm sure everybody on this call um, saw the viral satellite images about how the air pollution you know, significantly cleared up and declined in the big cities, um, specifically during the lockdowns. And so I think you know, the crisis really helped people um, become much more aware of how their own personal health was connected to the health of our planet. And I also think that um, there's, be, there's been an increased appreciation and connection to nature because of the pandemic. Um, so coming out of the pandemic, um, you know, we believe that there's going to be a resurgence of um, you know, interest back into sustainability products and services. Well, well, and well said, Karen. Uh, from our perspective, uh, uh, Loft Tex is primarily a B2B company, so we interact through, uh, with the consumer through our major retail partners. But still, we we try to track consumer behavior, and we uh, try to keep a, a, a close tabs on where you know the, where the consumer is uh, with respect to our products. We and and the environment as well. We see much the same thing. We see that the um, uh, we see that the interest in sustainability maybe took a brief pause, as it does through most major uh, uh, crises, whether they be economic or not. Uh, but then comes roaring back, and we see that the consumer is, um, you know, is not um, the consumer. The consumer interest in sustainability uh, only took a brief pause and, and has come back strong since, and we we think it continues that way. I, 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 one quick thing is I think sustainability in that time frame had also expanded, right? So the definition of what we consider sustainable, what we consider in that remit, or the consumer has considered in that remit, has gotten larger and larger, right? So um, it's not just the, I think, um, uh, reuse, recycle, uh, the, the triad there. It, it's taking on this larger definition in the consumer's mind. Um, so I think it'll be harder and harder for, I, for us to define definitively what is sustainable uh, versus 10 years ago, which was much more condensed and, and compacted in that realm. Yeah, I mean, that really raises another question, um, which is how have consumers' expectations of brands changed in the past year and even in the past few years when it comes to sustainability? Do you have a sense of... of um, what those new expectations are and, and what brands need to do to meet them? Over half of consumers are now making their purchase decisions based on um, the impact of the product or service to the world at large, specifically to people and um, the health of the planet. Um, I, what we've learned is that um, many people do not view um, companies as being leaders in taking action or addressing the sustainability issues. Again, individuals have had to take the activist approach, right? Um, and, and it's true, people view individuals specifically, um, those in their local communities, as the ones who are the leaders addressing a lot of these key social and environmental issues. Um, however, what we're starting to see is that there is an expectation that companies and brands, they must do more to help their communities as well as protect the environment. And so, you know, they're expecting the brands to show up and support the key issues that they specifically care about. 
but they, you know, as Tom said, they expect the brands and companies to actually do the hard work, right? It can't just be about a series of posts when, you know, Black Lives Matter or right now during Pride Month, they have to be consistent in their support for a key issue. Um, and it can't just be performative because we know that um, consumers are not afraid to call companies and brands out anymore um, with the advent of cancel culture. One thing to add on that one though, too is as brands, our, uh, 10 years ago, the quality of what we would do from a sustainability standpoint, if you had a sustainable product, sometimes didn't meet the what was already in market, right? And so I think as brands, one of the pieces that we have to continuous to deliver on is the expectation level of what our, our product does, right? Whether it's a, a, a tire, whether it's a granola bar, whether it's, you know, a bleach or, you know, a towel, right? Ultimately, it has to deliver a, a quality uh, uh, experience that is on the par with anything else that they're now taking into the marketplace. And so the, the consumer has seen us as brands get better at delivering sustainability with the expectations of delivering on what our product should be doing, right? From a from a standpoint of, of consumer or customer experience. So I think that one of the keys to us as sustainable from a brand perspective is we have to deliver on a higher expectation going forward um, with the consumer as well, right? In a sustainable, you know, umbrella. I I would agree with all of your point, both of your points, and I would say furthermore, adding on to that, that um, we've largely uh, in the consumer products world, we're we're the ones who are largely setting these consumers' expectations by raising the bar on ourselves on a continuous basis. And the fact that we're doing that is then causing the consumer to expect it. I, I, I see it that way in terms of the, you know, the consumer products and the consumer's expectation of brands. Um, and it just, it becomes a, uh, it becomes a virtuous cycle. It's super complicated, right? And um, I think one thing that's sort of been just below the surface of some your comments has been, you know, how do we make sustainability profitable? You know, is sustainability a better business today than it was in the past? And are there more opportunities to make it profitable, to make it uh, a real going business? Does anybody have any thoughts on that? Sure, I'll, I'll start that out. Uh, you know, from our perspective, again, as a, as a B2B company supplying to retailers primarily, we, um, we've, you know, we, even though we don't get directly uh, direct feedback from the consumers, uh, we've clearly built ourselves a better business based on sustainability. We, at, at, at our fact, we're a vertically integrated uh, manufacturer of, of home textile products, especially particularly towels. Uh, we've, um, at the factory level, we started our sustainability initiatives, you know, probably a good 10 years ago. Uh, at the product level, we started in, in earnest probably about five or six years ago, uh, but have been continuously upgrading our, our, you know, the sustainability both at the factory level and at the, uh, at the product level. And, and have, uh, have tried our best to stay ahead of our core competitors in, in terms of what we're actually doing for sustainability. And, and as a result, um, uh, we, we, we've clearly seen the benefits uh, of, of doing that in terms of our, our business model. Uh, we get with our B2B partners, we have credibility built in by, by working you know, single-mindedly on, uh, on this focus for the last five and more years. 
uh, we've always been known as a, as a company that um, that innovates, but our innovation has been focused primarily on sustainability for the last five years. And, and we've built ourselves a, a significant amount of credibility with our retail partners and to the point now where uh, you know, we're usually invited to any any initiative that involves any form of sustainability, and and uh, we um, uh, we we've um, at this point uh, probably every product introduction that we've made in the last three years has some form of sustainability built into that product, some more, some less, but but no product hits the hits the market at this point that doesn't have some sustainability built in, and that's uh, that's really uh, that's um, in, in a world that's had a lot of challenges, you know, from for many companies, uh, the um, uh, this has provided us some some support, you know, and uh, you know, to to fight the headwinds, you know, that that have come with um, uh, financial crises, um, uh, pandemics, um, uh, all number of all number of issues that have surfaced that, that have become challenges. It's uh, given us the, the the tailwinds to get through that. And, and made a big difference in our business. It, yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, in that consumer decision tree for for an individual who's looking at you know a shelf or looking at you know a, a number of different products that they get to choose from, you know, it, this becomes higher in the consideration set and makes the default difference, right? So if all things being equal, if the product performs the same and things like that, it lends that self. And so one, you know, selfishly as brands. We do it because it helps us have an advantage if we have a sustainability uh, forward thought process around our product. So one, it gives us credibility, not only of, of doing what's right, which we fundamentally want to do, but also helps us in the consumer mindset as if things are equal, how do I get my advantage, right? And so I see it as advantage on that one. But also too, let's face it, if you can create something different with the product in a sustainability platform, and make it better or make the product better, then you you have a Yahtzee moment in which not only are you delivering a better product, but you're also delivering it with 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 a, an intent of, of helping the environment. And so, you know, you think about it, um, you know, 10, 15 years ago, um, we never talked about GMOs and things like that versus natural organic and, and those points where you go, okay, but we're going to give back a sustainability farming or those processes. And so, you know, you kind of sit there and go, they also did, then delivered a better product or a better tasting product. So, you know, to me, it's it's a matter of one, it, it's good for the, it's just a, a fundamental core value of, of a business saying, I'm going to do what's right without anybody looking. But the second is, is, is if I can create a, a, an advantage for my brand now in the marketplace by having a sustainability uh, thought process around the product, then I can actually win those those ties at the at the shelf when it comes to the point of, of of the consumer making a decision, and so for a brand as well, it's it's important for us because then we can win. Uh, I, I think you've hit an extremely important point, Christian. The the fact that we can win on the ties. You know, I, I've been asked many times, can we, are we able to, uh, are we at Loftex able to monetize? on the sustainable attributes that we're bringing to our products and sometimes at greater cost to us. And the answer is usually no. Uh, you know, we're in a very commoditized and competitive business and we usually cannot charge more uh, at the ret at retail for the same, you know, for the same product, but with a sustainable attribute. But 
the uh, the sustainable attribute is oftentimes the differ the differentiating point that allows us to get the placement on on the on the retail shelf and is the tiebreaker between the consumer picking our product and and the, the product next just next to it on the shelf and those are you know hugely valuable benefits I think um, what Charles, you know, what we see is those are walking attributes. A lot of the sustainability attributes are walking attributes um, that there is a um, small uh, and but growing percentage of consumers that will not trade off on those sustainability attributes. But what we're finding is that as that um, percentage starts to increase and grow, um, if you are not creating products that have those sustainability attributes, then you will lose those consumers to a different brand. And if retailers are not um, stocking those products with those sustainability attributes, then you could lose them as a shopper overall. Um, and so I think those are just things that we have to monitor. Um, while they are not necessarily mainstream right now, we have to continue to stay in tune with what um, the fringe consumers um, are, you know, what, what's important to the fringe consumers, because I think they're paving the way for um, mainstream sustainability moving forward in the next five to 10 years. Yeah, that's another, you know, another topic that we've been sort of discussing uh, on and off is younger consumers and the next generation. So, you know, we see that they are engaged with sustainability and even as a social justice issue as well as a just an environmental one, but just in terms of younger consumers, how how do you see um, moving forward, trying to win their support, win their trust, given all of their experiences and attitudes? Uh, if I, I, I'll go first, I, I think what's interesting about the younger generation is 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 in in the next cohorts that we'll start seeing go through the marketplaces. One. They're going to be the first ones who actually grew up with sustainability in their educational process. So, you know, my my 14-year-old son, which we can go on a diatribe about teenage years of, of, of boys, um, he knew about sustainability from straws and uh, 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 soda pop uh, holders and things. He was keenly aware of what sustainability was, and more importantly, what environmental impact he had from his purchasing behavior and in our purchasing behavior in the household, right? So what's interesting is, is that they are much more, uh, they're much more in tuned and educated about what sustainability is or what the platform is. I mean, think about it. The, the, the spokesperson for sustainability right now is a teenager in Sweden, uh, Greta uh, Thronberg, right? And, and you kind of sit there and go, full stop. It's a teenager telling us the world about sustainability climate and those pieces of it. So, you know, when, when you say, what about the younger ones? Well, it, it's being led by uh, this, this whole conversation is being led by a younger generation. What will be interesting about this and about two two forms. One is what will they do with their dollars when it comes to their purchasing behavior and their power when they start moving into the marketplace when they have to purchase goods, right? So right now, you know, they, they don't have that, but they're, they're moving quickly into it, right? Um, and really millennials will give us our first indicator how much they're willing to, to push into that sustainability going to pay for it but it'll be this kind of this this uh, this next two generations will tell us what the expectations are 
but it'll also be interesting what they do with brands that don't do anything around sustainability. And I think that's the other caveat to this is, is that do they completely walk away or their expectation is I want a brand that delivers on a sustainability platform and I'm going to walk away from traditional brands. So it's going to be really interesting, but they're also going to be their expectation level is going to continue to increase because they're going to know more and they're going to expect more in that as, as well from their brands. When I think about, um, you know, what Christian said, I think about, um, you know, two things specifically um, about the younger generation in two forms. So I think about their values and then their behaviors. So if I think about um, the core values of the Gen Z group um, and the young millennial group, what we've heard in our research is that they are seeking authenticity, honesty and transparency from themselves their family, their friends, and then also brands, right? Because brands are now an extension of their circle. They don't view them as just solely, you know, products that I buy into, but they want to establish relationships with the brands, you know, that they are using. Um, and I also think, um, you know, that another core value of the Gen Z group is that um, they recognize their individual and collective influence to make change and make decisions for the greater good. Um, and I think that this is very prevalent. We've seen that, you know, over the course of the last year with a lot of the um, social unrest and the protests, they have been the ones to lead um, the charge against that for the collective good and for the future generations. Um, and then the second thing, if I just, you know, talk about their behavior specifically, Christian mentioned it, um, Gen Zs, um, are true digital natives, right? They're the ones who grew up with the rise of social media. Um, I don't know, you know, my daughter's seven and a half. Um, I, I think that they're, they're centennials, I believe that they're called it, um, but she knew how to operate um, my iPhone, you know, at the age of 18 months. Um, she knows every single password to every single digital device in the house. Um, and what does that really mean? That basically means that they have access to information like no other generations before them. And they're learning about and exposed to more key issues at a younger age than we ever did, right? Um, and it's coming through their social feeds. Um, and if they don't know about an issue, their friends or their social influencers will make them keenly aware of that issue. Um, and then they're also ones to say that I'm going to take the time to really do my research about an issue that I don't understand. Um, they're very open to that. Um, and then they're also going to research whether or not a brand and or a person is truly authentic and they are actually doing what they say that they are doing, right? It goes back to that value of um, honesty and transparency that we're seeing with this younger generation. Um, and then another key component is, you know, from a behavior standpoint, you know, I think Christian had talked about, like, what are they going to do um, if brands aren't providing those sustainability benefits? Um, I think that, you know, I heard somewhere there's an important statistic that 50 to 60 percent of Gen Z's are either entrepreneurs or they plan to start their own business. Um, and, you know, what that means is essentially that if they don't find products that meet their needs or align with their values, they will go ahead and create their own products and services themselves. And we've seen that with the disruption of nation challenger brands in our CPG space. Yeah, and I one Karen's password is one two three four apparently. So we just all got that. Uh, the second piece, though, is I think is interesting is the the 
the e-commerce play of the channels themselves has allowed this democratization of, hey, if you don't have it, I'll go create it myself and then put it out there for you. And so I think to Karen's point, I think that's a very astute kind of listen, if I don't find it, I'm going to go make it and go make it for, for myself and then potentially for others. So the, the barriers of entry into our categories and into the marketplace continue to be be uh, lowered because we can do it from a different platform. And so the, it's out there. And then having that social platform, which that, that was something that, that Gen X, even millennials started to get into, but this will be the first you know uh, generations that literally have grown up from from birth to death and then they can go put it out there in the marketplace and talk about it immediately so i think that's a a, a huge dynamic in the change of sustainability as well as literally this will be the generation that says and i'm going to talk about it and anybody can hear it and adding on to both of you um and, and i i only have anecdotal evidence for this but um don't don't you think that we're learning from the younger generation more than any generation has in the past that we learn from them also. And, uh, you know, playing on, on that, the, the, this, the, the, the younger millennials and the Gen Z have an outsized influence on other generations. So they're, um, you know, to, to use a word that's overused, they're influencers on all of us. And then if you take that and you, you, you further add, you know, add the fact that the younger millennials and the Gen Z, as they age up, this becomes a tsunami, you know, a demographic tsunami that uh, yeah. that you know will will change, you know, everything about what our consumer expects uh, from leading companies. Uh, so I think it's it's got a number of factors, but they all lead to the same place. Those are great points. Thank you. It would be really great to have each of you just sort of give a sixty-second takeaway on what you think brands should be thinking about or doing in relation to sustainability right now. I think the way I'd like to start is by putting this in the perspective of what I know best, which is our own experience. And based on our own experience, and, and my, our, my advice would be just to get started. If you haven't already, just get started now. Choose an achievable goal as a starting point, gain a success, and then move on and build from there. Uh, you create a virtuous cycle through that process. In, in our case, we started at the factory level with Okatech certification uh, that, that culminated in Made in Greed certification probably a good six years ago now. Uh, and this certification, you know, it, it certified that our product contained no, was we used no harmful chemicals in the making of our product. And from there, we, we, you know, we added further developments at the factory level. On the product side, we started we started simple with a blend you know making a towel with a blend of cotton and recycled polyester uh, which provided a sustainable benefit as well as uh, we gained an improved performance on the towel uh, from there we layered on more complex sustainability projects at both the factory and, and more advanced product initiatives on the factory side we went from one success to another. We added solar power, we added water recycling, we measured our Higgs index uh, and, 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 you know, and, and measured it so that we could achieve continuous improvement. On the product side, we, we added BCI cotton, we added organic cotton, we, uh, we added plant-based cellulosic fibers, hemp, uh, we added biodegradability to our recycled uh, polyester, ocean plastic, 
sustainable, sustainably forested lyocell and viscose, some of which is now blended with post-consumer recycled cotton. So there's there's the holy holy grail for us, using you know using maximizing the use of the post-consumer recycled cotton is our ultimate goal, which we're admittedly in very early stages. And we know we have a ways to go in reaching these goals, but we've committed ourselves, you know, as an organization to, to the continuous improvement process. So, you know, what are what are future obstacles, you know, in the US? Having a system to collect, distribute, and convert used garments into recycled cotton at scale and at commercially competitive costs is really the big one. So that to to, to you know to overcome that obstacle will require resources, collaboration between consumers, collection systems, various levels of government, retailers, manufacturers. But we commit. You know, we've started the process. We're we're far too long in the process to to back down now. So we commit to um, to a continuous improvement to to engage with all of those stakeholders and and make this happen. Uh, I can't think of a, a you know another way and. You know, and I can only do this through exam, you know, by by using our examples. Yeah, I just have, you know, um, advice for the brands to think about a couple of questions. So the first one is really what is the brand's purpose and role in the world? Like what do the brands want to stand for, not only now, but in the future? And then really understand um, where does sustainability, either social or environmental, fit within that brand's purpose? Um, and how can the brand uniquely um, resolve, you know, um, that issue for the consumer? I believe both Karen and Charles did a great job. I, I would say my my only add would be two points. Would be one is authenticity, right? And that it does have to be authentic. It cannot be greenwashed. It cannot. It, it actually has to be an authentic attempt of, of moving into the sustainability. I, I would say the second one is it has to deliver on whatever the consumer experience. Uh, that you're uh, agreeing to, right? And in a sense that it has to deliver on the product attributes that they're asking the, the product or the item to perform. And so therefore it, it has to deliver on that. Because if it doesn't, then they're not gonna repurchase your product. And so you, they're moving off to a different uh, 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 product in, in, within the category. So my, my two biggest ones would be the authenticity of, of the approach but as well as also as the consumer experience of the product itself delivers on what you're telling them it's going to deliver. So you're going to hold truth to, to what you're saying you're going to do. Well, thank you so much. Um, we're pretty much at time, but I think we could fit in one question. Um, interesting question in today's environment. How often do you think you need to recalibrate your sustainability plan, especially in uh, you know today's world? Does anybody have any thoughts on that? I, I think you're well. I, here's the the cheat answer is continuously. I, I guess that's that's what I would say. I mean, ultimately, I, I would say that you're at least looking at it on a yearly basis as you do your strategy sessions within the you know your brand portfolio and saying this is what we're going to achieve, and then thinking about it as a three and a five year. So I think you have two windows. I think you have a close in window. Of what can we do today? That's but then I think you also have the corporate sustainability platforms that are going online that you want to go, okay, this is what we want to achieve in year three. This is what we want to achieve in year five. And especially if you have multiple brands in your portfolio, you're going to have different starts and stops of, of where they sit, right? And so I think for anyone who's dealing with a brand or a house of brands, it's 
the questions answered two ways. One is on a on a continuous basis, on a day to day, and those are the small, short wins. But then there are the longer term aspirational that you want to be carbon neutral by X amount of date, or you want to, you know, those are the things that you start kind of thinking about. But they're going to take bigger seismic shifts of your manufacturing process, your 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 procurement processes, and things like that. And so I think those are the ways that I would recommend on, you know, how often do you refresh it? Well, I think that would be the way I would I would answer the question. I'd largely agree with Christian on this, um, looking at it strategically, you know, not the tactical side. Um, annually is more more than enough. Um, uh, in fact, you could make an argument that you could look at it less often than that, uh, because the, the, at a strategic level, you're you're not going to, you know, you're you're looking far beyond the one year horizon. But um, but I would agree, one, one you know, annually would be the appropriate place. Well, listen, thank you so much uh, to our panel, Karen, Christian. Charles, um, and uh, look for more GFK, what's next for consumers webinars in the future. Um, and if you want to reach out to Tim about any of the points he made, it's tim.kenyon at gfk.com. So thank you again, everybody, and have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Thinking Ahead. For more information on today's topic, you can click the link in the description. And please make sure to leave us a rating and review. Let us know what you like about the show. And of course, if you haven't done so already, hit that subscribe button to keep up to date on the latest insights. We'll see you next time so you can keep thinking ahead.